Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility presents the Vermont Conversation with David Goodman, exploring ideas with innovators, changemakers, business leaders, politicians, and activists. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by the Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont's schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable childcare in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. And nearly 700 VBSR business members who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Learn more at www.vbsr.org. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. America is in revolt. Following the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, numerous cities have erupted in mass protests against racism, police brutality, white supremacy, and inequality. And in a stunning response, President Trump has deployed the American military against American citizens. This week, we spend the hour discussing race and rights. Later in the show, we'll speak with James Lyle, the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Vermont. But first, we speak with Kaya Morris. Morris served as a state representative from Bennington from 2014 to 2018. She was the second African-American woman to be elected to the legislature in Vermont history. She resigned in 2018 following racist harassment from a self-avowed white nationalist in Bennington. Kaya Morris is now the Movement Politics Director in Vermont for Rights and Democracy, and she is also the author of a recently published book of poetry. Kaya Morris, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Kaya, let me just begin by getting your thoughts on the events of the last week. Well, so this last week... um is really just the manifestation and expression of the pain, anguish, fear, rage, disappointment, and heartbreak that um, marginalized folks have been feeling for since the beginning of this country's founding. It is the manifestation of so many people who have been fighting generation after generation. We're seeing happening in multiple iterations within one generation of people trying to push back, rise up, demand changes that are necessary, but that um, have not been granted. It is a an expression of um, the failures of the American dream and of the upholding of our constitutions and of the sanctity of human life and human rights and dignity. This is terrifying for many and escalating at an enormous 
um, on an enormous trajectory, one which for some in some communities, and I will absolutely say within here in Vermont, um, brings a major element of danger. So while we may have not had protests that have um, been met with police force in the ways that we're seeing in other areas, the bad practices, the malfeasance, and the neglect of the law enforcement and the criminal justice system to mitigate all of the, our, our militarized police state and the warrior mentality and so many things that people have been screaming from the rooftops on are still very much lying in wait. And our broken criminal justice system and antiquated legal system has not set itself up in a way to even address the rising tides of militia groups and white nationalist groups and hate groups that are deeply organized, embedded into many of our systems within our police departments, within our correctional systems, within our military, within our government structures, and have not been rooted out. And so it has all become the powder keg of everything that has happened since white folks landed on this continent came to this nation and decided that the indigenous people here needed to be wiped off the planet Earth so that they could build a new world order. And it's all coming to roost right now. Those chickens are all coming to roost at this exact moment. Why now? You know, we have experienced, we have been seeing police violence against uh, African Americans and other people of color uh, shocking stories, you know, Ahmed Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor, the, the EMT who was shot in her bed in Louisville. What do you think it is about the current moment that has led to the uprising we're seeing? Because all of the promises have been false. It's again easy when we look at police violence to, to, and that happens in the physical plane and not themselves. Police violence and police is a violent endeavor. One that dictates um, expression of individual expression, it is one that um, is used as a tool, as a weapon by individuals and by systems to be able to maintain power and control over who belongs and who does not belong. It is a way of consistently reifying the mechanisms that were put in place from the earliest constitutional conventions of determining these individuals will be considered to be those that have voting rights and these do not. Very deliberate decisions made that there will be sacrifices for the aims of capitalism and for the aims of a false democracy. So what's happening right now is that people are saying your community circles and your restorative practices and your community policing has all been trash. Much of it has not brought the healing that has been needed. It has been performative in many, many iterations because the systems themselves, the environments themselves of these forms of oppression cannot yield to real change if the roots of the problems have never been dealt with. It is an impossibility to change our corrupt for-profit prison system if we continue to use a for-profit system model. You cannot change militarized policing 
if we will consistently roll back any sorts of efforts to defund our police departments from having access to military weapons and from changing the actual um, cultures of those departments themselves. When people are coming in and out of military factions with clearly racist, ableist, so many different hateful ideologies built into their systems, and now they have a badge and they have power and control and the ability to do so with impunity, with pure impunity. My story was one of a million that happens in this state where people are never going to be able to get justice because there are impunities built in against our prosecutors to keep them protected and shielded, to protect police officers for their bad behaviors, to protect departments and municipalities from doing the work that they're supposed to do. And that is disgusting, and it is repugnant, and it goes against a civil society. But those things have been baked in so deep that there is no source of true justice unless we undo this system and do so with meaning. And so this uprising that you are seeing is people saying, you gave us a false bill of goods here. You told us that there was an ability to bring about true transformation and to have access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of all of the wonderful things that the American dream promises. And it was all a ruse to continue to maintain and in some levels amplify these tools of oppression, these deadly tools of oppression. What does racism look like in Vermont? This is a conversation that has been hashed out a million times in a million ways from Sunday. Racism, as we want to talk about it, we want to think about it as those that will throw up a swastika, will do a Heil Hitler that will throw out an epithet, but it is around the smaller pieces that continue to keep individuals of color who are not part of the mechanisms of white supremacy culture from having access to the very things they need for their survival. Racism in Vermont looks like disparate outcomes for people who are dealing with COVID-19 who are not white, which is actually built on an entire system within our healthcare systems that absolutely racialize the delivery of health care and clearly show disparate outcomes, but those in power have very little interest and are skeptical about doing the work that's necessary to stop this assault on physical bodies that happen in the ER, that happen in doctor's offices, where our health care outcomes are, are different, are distinctly different. Racism happens within our schools where we have children that are being policed. We literally have police officers in our schools. And the false promise is that it is supposed to give these children a sense of safety. It is supposed to give them somehow an ability to build trust. But what's happening is that these police officers are being used to police children. When I first got into office, my attorney shared with me a story in my own community of a second grader, a black boy who was being pulled out of his classroom multiple times in handcuffs by our local police department. Well, guess what? That has not changed substantially. That has not changed significantly, and it is still occurring today in classrooms throughout the state. There's so much more to what we think about when we say racism than just the most blatant things that hurt your heart the most. Because for those that are impacted, it is a death by a million cuts. It 
created a system of ways that consistently break into one spirit and tell you that you do not belong. And so those that come here to this state that are born and rooted in this state and love this state are told repeatedly that the state does not love them in return. And if they should express that pain, it is inappropriate, it is uncalled for, that they are the ones causing the harm to this idyllic vision that we want to hold on to of what we are really a part of an entire country's worth of systemic racism. Systemic racism is not just something that I say to your face. It's not just something that I throw up on a chat window. It's not just a Zoom bomb. It's not just a physical violence. It is a continued assault on the humanity of individuals. And racism also hurts those who consider themselves to be white because it diminishes their capacity to engage with other individuals who are not white in ways that are not harmful and teaches bad behaviors and horrible practices that continue to strengthen power, domination, and control over human beings. Talk about, first, for people who are not familiar with the idea of systemic racism, explain it. Systemic racism is the same as any other form of systemic oppression. We can clearly look at what's happened within the disability community to see ways that we needed to change our physical structures, our laws, our ways of being to enable those who are from the disability community to live fully, freely within this state. Can they literally get access into a building or do they have to use a separate doorway? Are materials made in ways that they are able to access them and understand them clearly? Are there protections built in when those basic human rights are violated? We see that and understand that very clearly. Systemic racism is no different. It is a system. It is multiple points of entry for an equity to, call, to, to root into everything from our access to food, to our transportation systems, to our zoning and planning, who gets to live where, to our financial systems on who gets banking rights, who has access to capital. It has everything to do with representation in our media, within our school curriculum. It has everything to do with the subtle, small things that even keep people from accessing those seats of power, from running for office, for being in office, and for having their voices heard. It is an entire body of ways that, again, create an othering and maintain that othering. We've seen it in our LGBTQIA communities. We understand it and can recognize it in those spaces. It is the same of multiple forms of oppression. You're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're talking this half hour with former State Representative Kaya Morris. She is now the Movement Politics Director in Vermont for Rights and Democracy. Kaya, why do you think that people have come to recognize these systemic obstacles and systemic injustices in other areas, as you note, with people with disabilities, with LGBTQ people, but not with race? Race hits at one of the most personal places that a person can try to um, cleanse their soul. Racism, as I have said, has been built in 
from the foundations of this country. It is baked into every component of how our systems of government work. Okay. So it has become such a normalcy that it requires significant work to unroot and undo these pieces. So the reasons why it is hard to say, I followed the rules, right? I was just doing what was in my HR manual, and this is how we handle conflicts in the workplace. This is how we deal with issues of discrimination, and yet that still is a failure. So it becomes personal for individuals, and that is something that we don't want to have to deal with. Many see themselves as good people, and they understand that fundamentally, that they see themselves as good people, and this is not to say that they are not. But we often do things that are contrary to our very values when push comes to shove. There are still systems and mechanisms that are required to be maintained in order for a sense of functioning or dysfunctioning, I guess I should better say, to continue on. I'm sorry, I interrupted you and you wanted to ask me an important question. Well, I, you know, one of the things that strikes me this week is the kind of dropping of the curtain between the parallel universes that people of color and white people inhabit, where white people who, you know, watching this horrific video of George Floyd's murder, um, you know, respond by in disbelief and we hear many people of color, and yourself included, saying, we've been telling you this all along. What are some of your own experiences with police, with the daily reality of being a person of color in Vermont, in this society, that you feel your white friends and colleagues just don't see, don't understand? I think it's important to understand that the manifestation of the physical violence that's happening within police departments, it, again, as anything else, begins with the smaller um, acts of injustice. And when you are part of those targeted populations, you see and feel all of that and know that it builds in an aggregate. Something as simple as an illegal stop, as we've seen with individuals like Philando Castile, can absolutely result in your death. So while something very small and simple as a traffic ticket can escalate up into someone losing their life, it changes your relationship with law enforcement. It changes the way that you're able to see and feel yourself as a, having a sense of safety. That is something that many who are not coming from these populations, who have not lived that experience, who have not seen that happen, will not understand. I remember as a child, my mother being arrested at a Denny's. And I don't know if anybody else on this listening here remembers the massive outcry and the lawsuits that happened against the Denny's franchise for their consistently systemic, across the board, racism, that they were displaying within their restaurants towards people of color. And my mother got caught up in that with a manager and wait staff who wanted to accuse her of trying to steal when they refused to actually deliver service 
the police response, because again, using the police force, using the power of the state to be able to say you belong or you don't belong. And in fact, we will threaten your life over a Grand Slam breakfast. That is an enormous arc for anyone to take when you're out with your kids and someone's attitude towards you can result in physical violence. Those are the things that I think of. Those are the stories that we are hearing. These are not just antidotes. These are proven factual things that are occurring every single day. And I want to also just emphasize real quick here, David, that again, I want to come back to the fact that this outrage that's happening is because of the fact that there were promises for changes to be made and those promises never occurred. Even here within my own community, there is an uprising of individuals who are demanding changes within our local police department. Following those demands, there is a family of color that moves into town and is tailed almost every single day that they live in this community. They've been given multiple tickets for the silliest of infractions. Don't tell us that you care and are going to put out a statement about how you decry this violence when you're enacting fear and terror upon people every single day because any one of those tickets could lead to a use of force that results in the death of an individual. Um, and it should, we should point out that, uh, I assume you're speaking about the Bennington Police, that there was a study done by the International Association of Chiefs of Police evaluating the Bennington Police that showed that one in five community members reported discrimination by the Bennington Police. Forty percent of community members do not trust the Bennington Police. Uh, and as you're pointing out, this is still going on. It's still going on every day. What do you hope will come out of the current uprising? People need to start asking these questions about what's happening under my own roof. This is, again, what's happening here, what's happening here in Vermont, is just but a microcosm of what's happening in the country. What's happening here in Bennington, what's happening in St. Albans, what's happening in Burlington, what's happening in Essex, what's happening in different communities throughout the state, it's something that everyone needs to be doing that sort of reflective work on. It's something that everyone needs to come to the table and ask. Are we missing this? Because what this report showed, which wasn't as strong as we would have expected, but they had major challenges in the fact that there were multiple people who didn't even want to interview with their team out of fear for retaliation, for them speaking up about the things that they have every right to. So we could talk about suppression of First Amendment right there. But let's say... Within this component, they were still not able to come with the strongest critique that they could have to really help us understand the gravity of the work that needs to be done. What other communities are doing that type of work? Why do we not have citizens' oversight committees on every police department in the state of Vermont and have empower those groups to have subpoena power so that they can actually do something other than talk about it, but actually do something? Why do we not have those pieces? This is just but one example of a question. It is a clarion call for everyone to ask. Do your due diligence and find out whether or not these are the issues that are existing in the community. I have every belief to, every reason to believe that they are. But 
some folks need it written down to know that it's real. So do that. So for this current upsurge of outrage and anger to not simply get transformed into committees and panels to study it, what would you hope looks different in six months to a year from where we stand today? Hmm. I want to acknowledge that it's not just fury and rage, that there is a heartbreak that is happening, a heartbreak. I cannot tell you how many people I am running into on a daily basis that I'm talking with, that I'm seeing on social media, who are weeping tears. It is a heartbreak, and that needs to be healed. There needs to be deep community healing happening around this. As people are coming into reckoning with their inaction, their unknowing inaction to stop this sort of thing from happening within their communities. There are individuals who do not feel safe right now because the conversations that are happening are so twisted that people that they might have looked to as allies or those that they can trust are picking up on the crazy rhetoric of what's happening on social media and are questioning the very lived realities of their friends, their neighbors, and even their relatives. So it is my hope that we get to a place where we are starting to come to a reckoning of that healing, not just transforming the anger into action, but into true healing, which requires a restorative process. It is my hope that in six months to a year, that people will be well-versed in the fact that there is no work that can be done around changing these systemic inequities without having the people most impacted build the table. Don't be invited in after the fact. Don't be asked to come and testify. They are the ones leading the conversation because they are the ones that are in that every single day. And we don't have time to do representation by proxy. It is my hope that communities will start to speak with honesty, look back, do a look back within the last 50 years and say, this moment that we're talking about right now has been happening throughout the years, and we can identify where that happened and when it happened and what didn't happen as to why we are right now, because that is the only way we will move forward, is being brutally honest about the things that are the most scary and the most painful for any community to speak on. Well, Kaya Morris, I want to thank you for your powerful words and work. Uh, and for joining us on the Vermont Conversation this week. Thank you very much. And I do hope that everyone will be safe out there, take care of each other, check in on your neighbors. Okay. Kaya Morris is a former state representative in Vermont, and she is the Movement Politics Director in Vermont for Rights and Democracy.